Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here for some really good actor goodness. How are you, my friend? I'm good. We're back in the studio. That's fun, isn't it? Well, I just, you know, we record all the February shows where all the stuff we did at NDC uh, London, mm-hmm. we did a lot. So now we're back in our respective homes on opposite coasts and, you know, doing the thing. Doing the thing. And it feels good to be behind a real microphone again. Back behind the big microphone. I mean, I love doing this stuff in person. And yeah. I think there's a real warmth and, and and fun around doing those shows. Sure. I just like the quality we get going this way. I totally agree. And uh, speaking of quality, it's time for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> well, that was a nice seg, buddy. What do you got? Yeah. Well, you know, every time we do a show about the actor model, it, yeah. um, you know, I bring up this idea that back in the days of Win32 graphics programming, UI programming, we used to write Windows apps in C, and every window had this message loop right. that uh, accepted messages from the operating system, messages such as, hey, there's a mouse over your window at such and such a coordinate, or hey a window is over you and then moved away, you have to now redraw this portion of your window. Yep. Those are Windows messages. And if anybody's done uh, Win32 programming, they know what this is all about. But many don't. And so it's just interesting to know that if you're a user of Windows, you have been using software that uses the actor model. And uh, I pointed to today uh, a, a Wikipedia entry message loop in Microsoft Windows, which sort of explains it. I'm kind of amazed that this idea, this thing exists in Wikipedia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it does. That's really interesting. And it talks about all the, you know, the basic idea of the architecture, which is essentially actor. And because there's a queue, events are put in a queue. And yep. then they go to the window and the window processes the messages one at a time. And, uh, it just works, and this is what makes Windows work. And I don't know enough about Linux or Mac OS X to know about the internal architecture of it, but i got to imagine it's pretty similar. Yeah, that's it's interesting that this is now heritage stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right, so better know a framework now on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it. Who's talking to us, buddy? 
Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1338. That's the one we did with Aaron Stannard back in August of 2016. We were talking about ACA.net 1.1, which yeah. Roger's been involved with for a right. long time. And uh, this particular comment comes from Amir, who says, It sounds like ACA.net has progressed a great deal over the past few months. I still am a bit anxious about using it for our funds transaction system. That's literally with withdrawals and deposits. Uh-huh. The system should support transaction retries, persistence, and fault tolerance. Transaction retries means if the same deposit with the same ID arrives multiple times, the actor would be aware of it, would not allow the transaction to be handled more than once. Without this feature, I don't think we could implement ACA. Is there any thoughts around this? And Aaron responded right away, which I really appreciated, with some great thinking about it. He said, you know, we do support this, and he provides some example links. But that being said, you do have to implement some code to carry it out. We won't ever support automatic redeliverable messages by default because they introduce extra moving parts and significant overhead in areas where you may not need it. The ACA.NET philosophy is to be dumb and fast by default. Hmm. So that rather than running into a situation where you're trying to figure out how to turn off features you don't need in order to achieve adequate performance, you simply turn on additional features and modules where you intentionally need to use them. Yeah. And that, to me, made that really compelling. It's like, that's a good philosophy of go with fast and dumb and then know that there's ways to add in the additional capabilities you need for that particular scenario. Yeah, very good. So, Amir, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We act on him. Ha! Sorry, it was just sitting there. Low hanging fruit. It was just that was just too easy. I'll try to be a better comic. I promise. <laughs> you keep saying that, but I don't believe you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I go for the easy stuff, kids. All right, let's bring back to the show Roger Johansson. He's a solution architect at Betson Group in Stockholm. He's a deep passion for open source, and he's been leading various open source projects since the early days of .NET. He's the founder of Akka.NET, and now focusing on the actor model version 2, Proto-Actor, or Proto.Actor, a cross-platform, high-performance actor model framework for both .NET and Go. Interesting. Welcome back, Roger. Thanks. Nice being back. Yeah, nice to have you back. We, uh, wow, we have a lot to talk about here. This is amazing. Uh, I've been looking over it for the last hour or so, and uh, I'm pretty impressed. Just give us the elevator pitch on what ProtoActor is. Well, uh, Pro- ProtoActor is really a dumbed-down version of Arca.net, or rather Arca. So there was a lot of moving parts. Just like Aaron said that we wanted to avoid the moving parts, but Arca and Arca.net still had quite a few of them. So the Proto-Actor framework is really remove all the secondary concerns and um, infrastructure and just focus on the concurrence and distributed programming concerns. Now, when you uh, say dumb then, down, that's like a red flag for a lot of people. It uh, doesn't mean that you have to be dumb to use it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it, no. It means no, you've it, taken away even more plumbing code, right? Yeah, exactly. So the philosophy behind the product is, is really to reuse proven standard concepts out there. So instead of 
inventing or building our own cluster system or our own serialization system or things like that. We instead reuse proven stuff like uh, gRPC from Google for uh, for the network transport and uh, Prodebuf for serialization and uh, uh, console for cluster mechanics. So the code base of Prodactor is really less than a hundredth of um, of Arca.net and still wow. we we provide almost the same features as the base parts of, of Arca.net. Of course, Arca.net has a lot of different plugin modules on top of that that right. we don't have in ProFactor yet. But, but, but uh, at the base, we do provide the same functionality. So in looking around, it was really interesting to note that, um, well, first of all, you use this whole idea of virtual actors. And yeah. that term was first coined by the Orleans folks, wasn't it? What does that yes, mean exactly? exactly? Well, in the original actor model, then you need some sort of reference to the other actor that you're talking to, mm. like some sort of phone number almost that you can say, I want to call this number and I know this number is in this area or this district or whatever, but in <laughs> terms of m- machines. That's a great example uh, from Ericsson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the virtual actor model just says, I want to call this mobile number and I don't really care in what area of the world it is. I just want to call it and I want to talk to someone that knows how to deal with my messages. Uh, and that should be it, really. I yeah. don't want to create the actors myself. I don't want to handle the actors when they die or I don't want to handle the placement and say this actor should be on server number one and this should be on server number two. Uh, I just want to talk to this capability, really. So does that mean that in ProtoActor, and because you're using these virtual actors, you really don't have to mine the farm? How, do you, how does one interact with the whole service? Yeah, uh, we actually support both uh, the ACA model and the Orleans model because that's a really common thing that pops up in various companies. They sort of need to decide on a single framework. Well, should right. we invest in just uh, Orleans or should we invest in just uh, Arca.net, for example? Uh, and the problem is that they have really different properties. Um, the, the Orleans framework is sort of auto-scaling. You don't really know, uh, really need to know exactly where things are going, but mm-hmm. it works. And in the Arca version, you really need to be really exact and say, this is exactly how it should work. Yeah. Uh, but Different companies, of course, will have different use cases that needs one or the other. Uh, you can't really say that we should only use Orleans in our company, for example. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why ProtoActor really tries to unite the both models. So you could have the control if you need it, but you could also uh, sort of outsource uh, the control to the framework itself. Very cool. Now, um Things that we may or may not know about the actor model, uh, from what I understand, the, your abstraction of an actor is in, is a class, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, there are some things that are defined by the actor model that it must have. And uh, yeah. can, we, can we go over those? I mean, I think, it's a, I think this is getting the attention of people in the .NET world who previously thought that, you know, an actor model system was sort of you know, something other people do. And now I think it's getting enough, uh, you know, with the performance and the scalability and all of that stuff, it's really getting a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, And 
at its core, the actor model is really just a concurrency primitive if, to handle concurrency. But it also comes with a few different properties, which makes it really good for distributed programming also. And actors in the original form needs to fulfill uh, three axioms. Uh, it should be that an actor could receive messages and decide how it should handle this message. Uh, an actor should be able to send messages to other actors and an actor should be able to create other actors. Uh, so it's basically like an object in object orientation because others can call your methods and you can call methods on other objects and you can spin up other objects from, from within your own methods. So just to be symmetrical then, what's the difference between an actor and an object? Yes, uh, actors are asynchronous. Uh, they never blocks the caller, uh, unlike... Uh, the object-oriented model, then a lot of people have started uh, to discuss if the object-oriented model shouldn't have been uh, asynchronous to begin with because mm. that was sort of how it was defined, that it was message passing. But the implementation of the object-oriented model in most languages are synchronous. When you call the method of an object, then the caller really needs to wait for right. it to, to return. Mm-hmm. And then you and then or you go through this message queue model with a separate callback path and and, and yeah, it gets complicated exactly. pretty fast and a lot of ceremony too. Yeah. So that's really the core difference between objects and uh, actors that mm-hmm. when you send a message to the actor you shouldn't really wait for that task to finish you should continue do whatever work you are working on. Right. right. And if the actor that you sent a message to wants to send a message back to you, then of course you could handle a message of whatever type uh, the, the return message is. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements. And best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. So actors also have to have, well, they can have state. And that's a no-brainer yeah. for classes because yeah. I, I can obviously have properties, internal properties that I keep that I don't expose. And that that's the whole idea is that the only thing that exists, uh, the only way to get data in and out of actors is to send messages and receive messages. But, yeah, but exactly. there's state. That's a, a critical idea of an actor. Yeah. And that's where the concurrency part comes into it because actors are on the inside are like they are single threaded. So, it will only receive one message at a time and act on that and then pick right. the next message. So mm-hmm. let's say we take the classic bank account example, then you could take a method which is withdraw money, for example, and then you reduce uh, balance on this account and then you pick the next message and uh, act on that. So you can't really have race conditions where two clients or callers try to do the same thing and uh, sort of... Uh, corrupt the state mm-hmm. due to having multiple writers to the same state. Yeah. And uh, what about state consistency? What does that really mean? Well, since you're 
single-threaded on the inside, you will always be in sync with yourself. You can't really be out of sync with yourself. Right. Uh, but it's only synchronized within the actor. You don't keep in sync with other actors since you have this asynchronous boundary between them. You can't really say, when I send a message, it should arrive in this amount of time. It could really take a long time if the system is overloaded. So you should design your system for delays and uh, things like that. But the actor itself will be consistent with its own states, so and, to say. Okay, and, and then if an actor... An actor can create other actors and then supervise those actors. And so what yeah. you end up with is this hierarchy of actors. And so if three or four levels down, one of the actors fails, the supervisor yeah. then has some options in terms of how to deal with that actor. I guess it can resume it, it can recycle it, or it could fail itself. And that yeah. sends the, the error all the way up the chain. Um, with Now you have all these failed actors. And I guess what you're saying is, Proto actor with the virtual actor thing will just automatically handle these things for you. Yes, uh, to a point. If an yeah, if an operation in the virtual actor model fails, you would really just retry it because the virtual actor model is more of an RPC kind of model where yeah. you send a message and then await a return message. E even if that process don't have to be synchronous, you, you could still use async await, for example, in, yeah. in .NET. But uh, there is not the same sense of failure in that model because it's more like that specific operation might fail and then you retry it. While in the ACA actor world, the actor could actually crash or die and then needs to be restarted. Uh, oh, I see. So, so, so the two programming models are quite different from each other. Hmm. Uh, and that was something that the Orleans team took a little bit of heat for in the beginning, just for the name, since virtual actors don't really adhere to the, the actor model axioms. It's more like distributed objects with a concurrency constraint. But I think in layman's terms, then, then virtual actors is a good name. But mm. if, if you get into the details, it might not match exactly. Okay. All right. So, um, so let's talk about behaviors. What is, you know, behavior is one of the, the key words in the actor model. And I guess yeah. that is, does that map to what the actor does? And also, I, I read something, I'm not sure about this, but in, in a well-formulated actor model, every actor should only do one behavior. Is that true? Yeah, I don't really know about the last part, but I guess it comes down to, to single responsibilities, sort of, that you yeah. should only have one responsibility. But when it comes to behaviors, you could really use actors for creating state machines. And what that means is that, let's say in the object-oriented world, where you have a class, that class really have a set uh, amount. Uh, the behavior is really set in the methods. Yeah, if you set the first name, for example, you have a set first name method. Uh, then that probably has some logic to it internally. But in the actor model, you could say, when I'm in this behavior, I should act upon the set first name message in this way. But if I switch a behavior, I should act upon it completely differently. So I think the best example could be, let's say you have an actor that talks to a database and when the database is up, then you 
act upon messages coming in and sending uh, SQL commands, for example, to the database and return results. But if the database goes down Mm -hmm. and the actor fails, it could set itself to a uh, failed behavior and start to pull the database and see, uh, is the database up? No, it's not up. I'm still in the closed behavior. And when a message comes in and says, hey, I want to run this SQL query, you could immediately just return and say, no, we can't do that because uh, the database is down. That way you could prevent the database from getting overloaded because that is a really common problem at system at scale, really. If if something goes down and people start pressing refresh button in the browser and you just hammer the database with new requests and retry. But... Yeah, having having an actor model or an actor in between, you could have that acting like a circuit breakers sort of that you ha- have this state and different behaviors depending on the environment. Um, you know, it sounds a lot like microservices, doesn't it? I mean, a, a typical microservice application sounds very complex relative to yep. an actor based solution in which you've got your your actors essentially acting as these microservices. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the different actor framework vendors really say that, well, you can build uh, microservice architectures using our framework. Uh, and there's, there's, of course, different definition of uh, what a microservice really is. But in my opinion, for something to be a real microservice, it shouldn't really be platform dependent because then it's a little bit of a uh, platform dependence in terms. Uh, I see. You could call it a distributed monolith, really. An actor is dependent on other actors and supervisors is what you're saying. And true microservice should be completely independent. Yeah. And especially using an actor framework or an actor language like Erlang or Pony, then those services really only talk to other services of the same kind. Erlang only talks to Erlang and Akka only talks to Akka unless right. you start start talking uh, using uh, HTTP or some standard protocol. I got it. But then you're, then you're leaving the actor world, so to say. Okay. So that is one of the problems that I wanted to solve with product actors because uh, I found it a bit annoying that none of the actor frameworks could really talk to each other because they have their own protocols and they have their own messages. So, uh, it's really specific. Uh, and let's say that you invest in Orleans or Erlang or Aka or Aka.net, for example, then you're really stuck in that platform because if you have a huge system built on that, you can't really plug in a different actor model on the side because then you need to start integrating over standard protocols. So my thought was, why don't we build an actor framework which really talks using a standard protocol like HTTP2, which has streams for for fast uh, streaming, mm. and then define the messages in such a way that they could be consumed from any platform. Uh, because in Arca.net and in Orleans and the other uh, models, they usually use some sort of uh, platform-dependent serializer. For example, for Arcan.net, I built the Wire or Hyperion uh, serializer that is a binary serializer for .NET, which is really fast and works great. But it can't really talk to other platforms because you don't have .NET objects on other platforms. Right. So, so what you really need in order to make that work is some sort of schema or some sort of 
typed messages. So that's where protobuf really comes in because in protobuf you can define messages and say this is my message and my message is only data. It's not a magic structure on a specific platform. Uh, and then yeah. you could consume the same message from, from different platforms really. Mm. So that is the philosophy behind Productor that you should be able to connect to any platform. Right now we only support C Sharp and Go but you could, in theory, build uh, build it for PHP if you want, because uh, gRPC and Protobuf exist for PHP. So it should be doable, e- even if it wouldn't make any sense to actually do it. But uh, and Roger, when you say Protobuf, are you talking about Google's protocol buffers? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, yeah, because they, I mean, they support all sorts of languages there. So it's it's yeah, but it is just a kind of. Uh, serialized structured data that's not as ceremonial as XML. Yeah, exactly. And from the experience building Arca.net, really, I saw that a lot of users try to pass really magic objects o- over the wire. They took some sort of F-sharp object containing lazy types, uh, containing right. closures and all sorts of stuff. And that's cool and all, and it's totally doable, but it becomes really tight to that specific platform. And it becomes also really fragile because if you have a serializer, for example, that isn't based on a schema, if you change anything in your binary representation and you have a different version on another node, that becomes really tricky to actually handle that correctly. So I wanted to get away from this sort of magic object passing in the other frameworks to have actual message passing right. where a message is just a message and not something tied to your platform yeah very good and and so um let's see what what is the uh, entry point for uh a, a proto actor system is it a is it a simple web service rest service yeah you you could actually use really whatever you want because uh productor is built quite similar to the task parallel library in .NET. So you don't really need to spin up anything oh, specific in, in order to use it. So it's very close to uh, task parallel library, but instead of having tasks, you have actors. Do I need my own queue of messages that come in from, let's say, a web API or, or some other REST service to put, put it into the system? Do I need like a, a service running out there somewhere? You could just have this uh, web API, for example, and have a REST endpoint that uh, mm-hmm. takes uh, messages and put them into your actors so they could uh, do something with the message. And you with expose the, the queue then, so I could just throw the message yes. in the queue. So what we expose is really the process ID, which really comes from Erlang. They, they call their actors processes. So you get this PID or process ID, which is much like the phone number to a cell phone that you just say that I want to send this message to this PID and the framework will handle it for you. Interesting. We were talking about, and we always talk about when we talk about actors, real world examples of what, you know, what, what types of systems would be good for the actor model, which ones wouldn't. And uh, it always comes up that IOT seems to be a good fit because, you know, you've got a backend actor that's mapped to a single, um, you know, a, a single device. Yeah, uh, the most common I've seen is really in uh, ETLs for for doing data transformations, uh, pulling data from one place into some other system. Ah. But 
it's not really the perfect fit, but I think it's the most easy for people to, to, understand. to understand that yeah. that we need the parallelism here and we need to be, make it fast, etc. So uh, HL transformations are really the gateway drugs in into the <laughs> actual world, but but it's <laughs> not the it's not the perfect fit. A better fit would be, uh, like you say, uh, Internet of Things, or um, for example, I'm in the iGaming gaming and betting yeah. industry and. We really need to have uh, low latency and fast systems, so we can't really hit databases whenever a player places a bet, for example. Then it's much better for us to take that action coming in from the player's uh, front end and just pass it into a stateful actor f- for that specific player, for example. And that um, said, the, the, the persistence is another idea. In, in other words, yeah. if you have all your data just in memory in an actor and then there's a failure and that actor goes down or crashes or whatever, typically you lose all your data and build it up again with a default set. But, uh, yeah. but there's this idea of persistence. Of course, me as an actor, I could take my data and throw it out into a queue that goes out into some database mm-hmm. somewhere to persist. But are there good strategies around that? Yes, so the the two common scenarios, if we just talk the actor model in general, is to either have some sort of event sourcing where you take specific messages coming into your actor, and then you persist these messages into some sort of uh, table storage. And if your actor crashes or, or the system needs to be restarted, then you can just pull out these messages from your uh, storage and replay them into the same actor to get back to the huh. previous state. Nice. And a more easy way, which I think is a default way for Project Orleans, for example, is just to snapshot your entire state uh, when you have done something. Mm. So whenever whenever an action has been done, then you just snapshot the entire state into some uh, data storage. So I imagine then you can roll it back, you know, like a transaction if you need to. You can sort of undo it. Yeah, you can do that if you have uh, the event sourcing model, because then you would only need to say, I want to replay the messages from index zero to index 10, for example, instead of replaying all of the events. Uh, that being said, I don't think that is super common, but of course you could use that for to, to roll back a system. Uh, rolling back a system where you have a snapshotting strategy only, uh, it's, it's much harder because if you have a snapshot and you're over wrote your previous state, then, then there's really nothing to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that problem gets worse the more actors you have and the, the further out it scales. Because yeah. at the same time, uh, you have to be queuing up the incoming messages. Yeah, exactly. So in uh, Productor, we only support the, um, the event source model. Uh, we do snapshotting also, but uh, it's not turned on by default. So... Uh, because if you have behaviors, for example, in your actors, uh, then you really need to replay all the events to get back to the same behavior that you started on. But yeah, is that worth it? it? Like, is that that seems unlikely to work out well? Yeah, exactly. So that is that it's a recommendation from the ACA team, really, that don't have behaviors and replay all the events, uh, turn on snapshotting, uh, etc. But people need to understand this before they actually do it. So yeah. having snapshotting turned on by default and then you might walk into a trap. So it's better to have a default that they can reason about what's going on at least. Mm. Mm. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. 
It's time to say that Proto Actor is indeed qualified to supervise. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, an inside joke that uh, in the past, not now, but in the past, when Richard and I would be at a conference and have a few scotches and a few more scotches, you know, one of us would throw up our hands and say, I am not qualified to supervise. Well, I mean, part of the reality is that most of the time I am qualified to supervise. Yeah, me too. So it's kind of a big deal when I'm not. It was. It only happened once, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened a couple of times, okay. but not very often. Generally once, speaking, I'm supervising. Once when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and everybody gets very excited when I say It was really words. funny, actually. <laughs> All right. It's actually time to give away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club music to code by of course is a set of 25 minute long pomodoro sized quiet and groovy instrumentals that are scientifically designed to get you into a state of flow and keep you there great for focus and .NET rocks fans are being more productive every day with music to code by and now you can download the entire 13 track collection for only 39 dollars and see what all this fuss is about check it out now at music all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Moses Meisner. Congratulations, Moses. Uh, Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Moses. And Moses just won the Music to Code by Complete Collection just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, uh, Roger, if you had $5,000 US to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I would buy these kind of home automation tools, but I guess you would get quite a lot for five thousand dollars but yeah I, i've always wanted to play with those and build something nice, would you but... build your own uh framework and platform using uh proto actor yeah of course of course <laughs> there are plenty of expensive home automation toys out there if you want yeah. to spend some money on it seems like a, a logical choice though doesn't it yeah. You know, we were talking about services and uh, microservices, and it might it might be one of those things where, you know, an actor is gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And then when it sees mm-hmm. a condition that needs something to act on it, then it calls out to a microservice or puts drops something in a queue that goes to a microservice and says, here, you deal with that. You know, whereas the yep. the, the decision is being made at the actor level. But the actual doing of stuff happens somewhere else. Is that a common? Uh, is that a common pattern you see? Both yes and no. Because I think once you get into the actor mode, most developers uh, probably like to build the entire system based on actors. Even yeah. though I think you should try to have uh, standard protocols between your actor systems, really, and only have a specific uh, context for, uh, let's say, a single microservice that might be doing some complex uh, business logic that you could, of course, build with with actors. Right. But uh, I would recommend to a- actually have 
like HTTP or some sort of uh, standard queuing system between yeah. services. Yeah, uh, that makes total sense. And But it makes sense to have the actors pushed out to the edge of the network because yeah, they're so... Yeah. They're so responsive, right? I mean, the, the model of uh, WhatsApp comes to mind or any any chat thing like Slack, for example, it would be perfect because Slack, you know, Slack has these plugins with bots that you can go do things with, but that doesn't mean Slack itself is doing them. They're passing off those requests to something that's more specific. Yes, and we actually have a really nice example of that, that in product because uh, one of the contributors... Uh, have built their entire backend for their chat system based on Productor with a Go API. So River.com actually uses Productor now, and I think they have around 20,000 active organizations using their chat system. So this is the, the new Jiang River project? River.com? Yes. R-Y-V-E-R.com. Uh, okay, so the the Silicon Valley spelling of river, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a Y. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but, but it was really nice because um, they, they were looking into the actor model and found a product actor and started contributing to it. And uh, in two weeks, they have rebuilt their entire backend. And, That's cool. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. And it's always interesting to look at how how uh, stuff like Protoactor evolves, who's making contributions, how it's going, yeah. you know, the, you, how how projects like that grow up. So I guess it's CPX86 looking at GitHub here. That, mm-hmm. uh, that did they suddenly this huge burst of contributions? Yeah, uh, he he's actually a co-worker of mine, so so I prep him during the days. But uh, nice. Uh, uh, so he's working on the. Um, on the C sharp side of things, because we are a C sharp shop, but ah, uh, I see. Uh, the the main adoptions really come on the Go side. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is also interesting to see that the the Go community is a lot more open to open source because uh, building Arca.net, for example, that was really hard to try to push that out to to the organizations and get adoption of it. And, and Aaron has done a really great job of selling it to the enterprise there. But in the Go world, it seems to sort of manage itself. You don't really need to push for it because people are just so used to using other frameworks. While I guess we might be a little bit spoiled still in the Microsoft community that Microsoft provides frameworks for us. Uh, so I, th- I think there's a mindset and... Uh, because Go's always been open source, right? I mean, it's, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You would never use Go if you weren't already comfortable in open source. Yeah, yeah. So just culturally, what else would they do? I think yes. we're still leading the .NET community over to the fact that, hey, a couple of years ago, Microsoft kind of went open source. I don't know if you noticed, but surprise, yeah. surprise. So, but but that was a really big eye opener for for me at least that there was this big difference in the different communities. Sure. Uh, yeah. Do you program much in Go? Do you like Go? Yeah, um, I only code in Go for for my spare time stuff. Okay. Really, but but uh, I really enjoy it because it has a sort of simplicity to it. The, mm. the syntax is really small and you can't really do much. You don't have generics, you don't have link or you don't have anything. So right. by looking at it, it looks like an ugly language and you would imagine that you can't really do much with it. But for some reason, you get really productive and the tooling around it is really nice. So uh, 
it feels really lightweight to to work with it. The compilation is super fast and so it's you feel productive working with it. Yeah, we've uh, talked to a few people. Brian Hunter comes to mind, Richard. I think we yeah. talked about having constraints in the language and how that makes you, you know, think differently about how you're going to do things and become a bit more efficient. Yeah. Yes, uh, and I think that is something you see in the Go community because uh, when you hang around in like the Go Reddit channel or or Slack chats or or whatever, the the Go developers are generally more into the nitty-gritty details, knowing how, how to think about memory layouts and, and things like that, while the .NET community generally don't really care about those things, I, I believe. Yeah, I, I so, think you're right about that. I mean, the, the, the thing that Microsoft has sold from the beginning is, you know, like, look at Visual Basic as a perfect canonical yeah. example of that. You know, we're going to abstract away all of the nitty-gritty for you and just let you focus on solving business problems. You know, and service fabric is another good example of that where, you know, we could take all of this great stuff that the cloud does, but instead of having to, you know, create your own virtual machines with this service and that service and this yep. software and that server and, you know, this, uh, these, all these containers and everything, you can just push some buttons and, and, and some, and some levers and, and get the same result. You know, that's the promise anyway. And service fabric also has a virtual actor system i guess they what do they call it service fabric reliable actors yes it's uh, fairly new too isn't it yeah and and we were really uh, talking to to microsoft early on in the arca.net team back then uh, because uh, they contacted us and wanted us to build this integration from arca.net into service fabric uh, because one of the POs on the service fabric team back then uh, was really a fan of, of ACA on the JVM. So, so he had mm -hmm. this uh, love for, for ACA and wanted it to, to run on service fabric. But uh, unluckily, the ACA.NET was a little bit too much beta uh, back in, in those days. But, but we did build the integration for Microsoft. So, so you can use oh, cool. ACA.NET on, on service fabric as an alternative actor model on on that platform, so to say. Yeah, that's neat. That's very interesting, right? There's just so many different ways to deploy this. That was always the thing about Orleans, was this was really for Azure. Is that still true? No, no. Uh, they can run Orleans on... Uh, I think they have a beta running on .NET Core now, and they can run it on... Um, I guess they could run it on a Raspberry Pi if you have .NET Core on that. So I don't know that uh, I'd want to do that, but okay. No, no. <laughs> Let's talk about supervisors. And, you know, that was the joke. Yep. Ha ha. Not qualified to supervise. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's talk about supervisors. What do you, uh, any actor can be a supervisor, but there's the main supervisor that kicks all this off is the root, right? And you, that's not you. That, that's not me as the program. I'm not making that. You're making that in ProtoActor, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what's called uh, the, the error kernel, really, that uh, you should have this chain of command that knows how to handle failures. So the, you should try to push volatile things out to the leaf nodes. So, so unlike us humans, uh, you, you should try to give the dangerous stuff to your children in, in the actor world instead. So, so they can blow up and restart. But <laughs> kill it, your children, it, stay alive yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so if they fail, they, they propagate the failure to you. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you propagate that 
upwards uh, in the hier- hierarchy. And if nobody knows to how to deal with it, it will reach the root. And if the root actor don't really know how to deal with that problem either, let's say it's a memory, uh, auto-memory exception, you can't really do anything except for just shutting down the system. So Shut it off, turn it back on again. Yeah, yeah. The universal fix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, the root guardian's call is, can we deal with this? Nope, everybody dies. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's that's pretty much it. So you should really design your system so, so the errors don't propagate that high up. So usually it's the direct parent or the grandparent of the actor that, that handles the exceptions. But at or the same time, problem. you shouldn't be writing code for system-wide failures like out of memory. You, no, no. Because there is no, no recovery no, for that. Yeah, Doesn't it make yeah. sense to go up to the root yeah. guardian at that point and let it fail? No, no, maybe auto memory was a bad example, for example. But uh, let's say that somebody has some not implemented exception because they right. checked in something yeah, you too early. You definitely shouldn't let the, that go to the root guardian. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah that would yeah. be embarrassing. <laughs> all right, we're trying to shoot down all your examples, but we get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was a very fair. There are relatively few examples that should go to the root guardian. Out of memory, yeah. I think, is the, the only one that comes to mind. I yeah. can't think of many more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in .NET, you also have this um, runtime corruption exceptions, what they are called. Uh, if you have some bad IL code, for example, that runs, right. uh, you, you can get into real trouble. But um, You were mentioning a, using a circuit breaker pattern before. Um, yeah. Is retrying something that is inherent to the actor model um, in terms of you know best practice? Uh, I, I'm thinking of using a tool like Poly. You know, for to create yeah. retry policies, do you find that people are using things like that? Uh, yes and no, really, because it depends on what guarantees you need. Because in some cases, you don't want to have retries. For example, if if you have this uh, stock trading system, you probably don't want to get old stock prices sent yeah. to you. If that kind of message is lost, then it should just be lost. You want right. the next message. Just wait for the say. next message. Yeah, uh, yeah, and. Maybe in some sort of service environment, uh, you might want to have retries. So you could have this idempotent services. L- let's say you, you build some sort of microservice architecture using the virtual actor model. Then you probably do want to have retries. If yeah. some actor on some machine dies and pops up somewhere else, you want to retry. So you actually write the data to that one instead. I can imagine it'd be weird just popping off a message and then ho di ho di do di do and then nothing happens and then so you pop off another one and nothing happens and at what yeah. point do you say, hey, what's going on here? You know, I guess it's up yeah. to the actor that you're calling to know that uh, that it's got a problem, that's why it's not responding and yeah. do something about so it. The, the general practice there is really to model that in your domain. So the messages becomes yeah. part of your domain, like, like in the CQRS world where you have commands and events and you send a command to some actor and maybe the actor sends an event back and say, hey, I, yeah. I did this. Then right. the, the sender could really know that this happened, so to say. Mm. Very cool. All right. Let me ask you a couple of questions about Azure. Obviously, this is just .NET code, so there's nothing yeah. preventing me from running on Azure. Um, do you see any best practices in terms of how to kick these things off, maybe an Azure cloud service, or, I mean, it seems like something that's going to persist and be up with state is better than, you know, something that is maybe going to get recycled like a, like a web API or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the rec- recommendation we did for Arcadon.net earlier, and that applies to, to really any actor model, is it, it, let's say that you have a uh, website running in Azure that can be recycled, for example, then you should only have that as some sort of entry point and then have the core of your system running in some more stateful way on, let's say, a virtual machine or in a service fabric or whatever, yeah. so that the website only acts as this proxy taking the message and then piping it through a some remoting system. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an easy way to do that with um, with Azure queues and in a uh, you know with Azure storage that you have blobs and queues and files. But queues is a, a a good easy way to implement that in a cloud service. Do you lose anything by having um, let's say a web API out front? Do you use any scalability or any performance? by putting something like that in front of uh, an, uh, a proto-actor dot, you know, proto-actor system? Now, uh, you probably want to have some sort of HTTP front-end for your actor system if you're going to integrate with it from, from other services. Uh, so, so the benefit is it's easier to, to integrate with. And sure. if you have a... If you're running in Azure, for example, where you have this uh, auto-scaling on, on yeah. the website, for example, then, then of course you don't need to code for the, that part in ProtActor. You could just use that front end to pipe it yep. through a queue or whatever into the actor system. Yep. Uh, that being said, I would find it unlikely that the front end would be more overloaded than the back end, yeah. but still you, you, you could of course do that. You're right. You're uh, right. Yeah. If you have a, a microservice, you can just scale that up. You know, if you're yeah. getting hammered, it, it auto scales. Yeah. Yeah. That's makes, the point. That's the whole point. Yep. Yeah. So that is also something we have been working on in, in product or that was really hard in, in Arca.net, for example. And I, don't believe they have it in Orleans either. Uh, and that's really to have the tooling and introspection into the actor world to, to monitor and see exactly what's going on inside the cluster. So there, there are different tools like Sipkin for, uh, for distributed tracing. and, and f- Sipkin? Sipkin, with us said in the beginning, .io, I think the address is. And Sipkin. that's a distributed tracing system built by Twitter in the beginning, which is now open source. So nice. that, that can be used to see the traces. Imagine it like a call stack, but for your entire distributed system. Wow. So you can plug that into ProtoActor because we have interception points so we can monitor when things goes into your actor and when things goes out of your actor. So we can plug in things like Zipkin or, or uh, Google Dapper or th- uh, other distributed tracing tools. Uh, so we this could really goes back this. to what Aaron was saying from the comment from the listener. It's like you want to introduce these things yeah. when you need them. They shouldn't be part yeah. of the core framework. Yeah, exactly. And this really gives you a completely different insight to your system that mm-hmm. uh, that I don't believe exists in, in any of the other actor frameworks out there. I, I know that the ACA on JVM has a plugin for Sipkin, but that requires you to write your actors in a certain way to actually deal with this integration, uh, while, in, while in product you can actually just plug it in since we have these interception points. Uh, it also allows us for building tooling. So we're building right now this CLI tool 
in Go. And since we're platform independent, this Go CLI could actually talk to an actor system running in C Sharp and nice. list list all the actors you have in this system and you could uh, talk to the actors and send messages from the command line. So we get sort of the same uh, power that you have in the REPL in, in Erlang mm. where you could actually connect to a running system and then uh, bring up and bring down new nodes and send messages to actors. So that is really, really powerful. And I do believe we, we are the first ones except for Erlang that actually support this. Wow. You know, there's one other um, keyword that we didn't talk about, and that is grains. Yes. Yeah, what's a grain? Uh, a grain is really what's on virtual actor in in the Orleans okay. terminology. So in Orleans, they have this concept of a silo, and a silo is like a process. Uh, and in the silo, you have grains. I uh, see. So <laughs> I wondered what the heck that was. All so about. funny. <laughs> so clever. Okay. Not really. Not really. Hey, more <laughs> clever than my joke. That's for sure. And just to remind people that, um, proto actor is extremely performant, uh, it, right yeah. on the website. It says capable of more than 2 million messages per second between processes. Wow. Yes. Uh, it should be said that that is over loopback. So it's not over uh, actual nodes, but it's still, I think we're 30 or 40 times faster than Arca.net and seven times faster than JVM Arca. Uh, but that being said, this kind of selective benchmarks are should always be taken with a grain of salt. Because right. Sure, I can always make you a fast demo. The question is, can I make a yeah. fast app? Well, yeah, it, we exactly. can say that but, it's really fast. How's that? Yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> Running the same benchmarks in Arca.net and running the same in Productor yields that kind of different. But uh, as I said, a, a production system probably don't need that extreme throughput, and it's more important to have a stable system. So in that sense, they they are probably more equal. But uh, if you need the low latency and extreme high throughput, then uh, Productor is really delivering on, on that part. And we can just go get this on GitHub, can't we? Yes. So it's on GitHub slash asynchron IT slash protoactor dash go or dash dot net, depending on which version you want to use. Or simply browse to proto.actor in your browser and you will find our website. That's right. The download link is right at the top under code. Yeah. Wow. I'm completely blown away. This is amazing. And like I say, you know, this, this sort of brings it down to the level of the business developer, I think. You know, where it, it's sort of like VB for the actor model. Yeah. I love it. I wish you lots and lots of luck. This is great. Yeah, thanks. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com 
for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm